0: Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. That has got to be the creepiest introduction. I agree. But that's, you know, where we're at. So <laughs> Christmas is a time of surprises. Santa brings the gift that you've always dreamed of, and you find it under the tree. You get a text Friday evening that says you're preaching on Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Christmas is a time of surprises. Um, So with that kind of introduction, my name is Brian Hughes. I am one of the elders here at Restoration Church. Um, Ross and Emily, as you just heard, are flying back from Poland. They've been on a missions trip this week. Um, they've been over visiting with the Martinez, a couple that we're partnering with who are in Poland, um, brand new missionaries that are partnering with a church there, um, or a pastor there who they're building a new church in a city that's called Czeszin or something like that. I don't know. Czeszin. Somebody can say it and I can't, but, and I couldn't spell it even if I could say it. So, um, so he wasn't going to be here and he knew that. And so he made arrangements for that. And so Josh Ritter was supposed to be up here um, giving you this sermon. Um, Josh got sick. He texted me on Thursday. So to be completely fair, I had an idea on Thursday. Um, but he, he said, hey, I got sick this week. I'm feeling better. He's here, thankfully. Um, but he has no voice. And so he goes, if you are willing to stand in as a backup, just in case, would you do that? And I said, yes. And then uh, Friday night he said, Okay, I tried to go through the sermon, and I got through about three sentences and started coughing uncontrollably, so I don't think I can do this, and I want to give you at least some time, so here I am. Now, with all that said, God knew about all this, okay, and I have evidence of that, because today, the sermon that I'm going to give isn't even my sermon, and it's not Josh's sermon, and it's not Ross's sermon, and the creepy intro isn't even ours. There's a church that you're familiar with, but you don't necessarily know it. It's called Life Church. It's a megachurch in America. Um, you know it because you likely have an app on your phone called Uversion, right? And you can look at the Bible, and it's free, and it's great, and it's got all kinds of versions, and it's, great. it's wonderful. It's a wonderful resource. Life Church started in 1996. They have grown to be a congregation of something like 30,000 every week, but not in one building, but in buildings all over America and even the world. Um, and Craig Groeschel is the pastor of the church, and he said that when he started, he looked for resources online, he looked for help, he looked for things to get a church started, because just like Restoration Church, they started. You know, and it was a small group of people, and they started meeting together. And what they found was there aren't any resources, and the resources that they could find were expensive. And so how do you use those as a starting up church? You know, how do you do this? And so one of the things that they feel committed to doing is providing resources to churches, messages and training and service uh, prep and all kinds of things. Um, and so this sermon series that we've been doing, The Ghosts of Christmas Past, is really Craig Groeschel's Sermon series, and we've been using it. And Ross, I'm sure, has been um, taking those messages and making them his own, much more than I am going to today. Um, But this sermon comes through God's providence because I can get up here and and deliver these words. Um, But I just want to give credit to who where credits due. This is Craig's sermon, and some of that is going to show up as I well read this to you candidly. but I also want you to know that because this sermon is not about me telling you. It's about us together. Because I'll be honest with you, we're going to talk about unshackling from shame. And this is as close to my heart, unfortunately, as it is perhaps to all of you. And as we talk and as we go through this, um, I'm listening to the words that I'm speaking as much as I'm giving them to all of you. So I just want you to know that I'm going to take my glasses off because I can read, because I need them to see you, and now I don't need them to see the paper. (laughs) (coughs) But today we're in part three of our Christmas series, and Christmas is an awesome time of the year. Craig enjoys parties and ugly sweaters and every radio station turning Christmas tunes. I like sappy Christmas movies myself, but you're not supposed to admit that as a guy. <laughs> it's a wonderful time of the year, perhaps the most wonderful time of the year, except for some people it can be really challenging. This time of year often reminds us of failures, of our mistakes, of our losses. Because this is a time of the year that's often spent with people who remind us of some of those things. Or there can be the expectation that I need to have a perfectly decorated house with lights and trees and presents under the tree and lots of them and everyone's wish fulfilled. But that doesn't always come true. Sometimes we just don't feel the joy. Sometimes we can't afford all those presents. Sometimes we just don't feel it. So what if December is a reminder of a life that was but is no longer? What if Christmas is hard? And so that's what we've been talking about in the series The Ghosts of Christmas Past. We talked about unshackling ourselves from ghosts that haunt us. In the first week we discussed about hurts and how to forgive. And last week we talked about labels and how we need to see ourselves as God sees us. And today we want to talk about the ghost of shame. And I've got to warn you that it'll be heavy at times. It's probably not the Christmas series or the Christmas message that you traditionally would think about. But I want you to know that up front so that you're prepared. We're going to talk about a deeply painful emotion known as shame, and shame can be a soul-crushing, identity-warping emotion. And I bet if you think about it, from your childhood, you'll remember a time when you experienced shame. Craig told this great story when he was a child, eight years old, and he was over at a friend's house, and the ice cream, ice cream truck came by, and he heard that, you know, ding-da-ding-da-ding, or whatever it was in the neighborhood, um, yeah, around here, I can't even think about what it is, but it's, you know, childhood music that you know for sure. He didn't have any money, middle of summer, but he loved ice cream. So he saw a jar of change at his friend's house, and he grabbed that change, and he stuffed it in his pockets. And it was summer, and it was hot, you know, and your shorts, and your pockets go down below the edge of your shorts, and those little white things stick out. And as he ran out to go get ice cream, his friend's mom stopped him, And said, Craig, what do you have in your pockets? And he stopped and looked terribly guilty. And she said, shame on you, stealing my money out of my jar. That was Craig's story. My story came when I was 16. I had learned to drive, and I was a driver. But I had a junior license. And I was... uh, working with a Christian ministry as a teenager and volunteering and helping out, and it was Halloween time, and we had a thing called Scare Mare, which, again, is a strange concept for an opportunity to witness about God's love. But basically what it meant was we set up a haunted house, and you went through all these scenes of scare and gore so that at the end you could say, but you don't have to be afraid of death. You can have life through Jesus. I don't know whether we would call it effective or not. (laughs) When I think back about it now, you know, 40 years ago, maybe that was a great idea. Maybe not so much. I don't really know. But this is what we were doing, and we were excited about it, and so we were dressed up in makeup, and we were scaring kids and standing behind corners with flashlights and flicking them on. And it was great, and we did it, you know, two or three nights in the week. And Friday night, one of my friends came to me and said, hey, my mom can't pick me up. Is there any way that you give me a ride home? And I thought, yeah, no problem. So it was about 11 o'clock, and we left, and I thought, I have plenty of time, right, because I'm on a junior license. I didn't know how far away John lived, and I never even thought to ask him how far away. But when the clock struck 12, and I was still 20 minutes from home, I thought, I'm breaking the law. Man, do I feel guilty. But drove the rest of the way home and scared of what my parents were going to say and, I don't know, deathly afraid that there was a policeman that somehow was going to see the van and be like, oh, that guy probably isn't 18 years old. Let's pull him over. I turned into the street. We lived at the second house on the street. There was a pole right next to the driveway. And I thought, I'm home. I'm safe. But when I turned... Too sharply into the driveway. About the midpoint of the van to the back of the van for the next eight years, there was a scratch. Well, it was more of a gouge because <laughs> it was about an inch deep and about an inch wide and ran the width of the car. And I already knew I was in trouble. My dad came out long before cell phones. He had no idea where we'd been. He knew it was 20 after 12. He was scared to death. We were in an wreck, whatever. And then he heard the crunch of metal. <laughs> I went to bed that night, and I swore that I would never drive again. He told me the next morning that I had to go put gas in the car by myself, and I was deathly afraid. But I remember laying in bed thinking, what a shameful, horrible person I am. How could I have done that? How could I have made that mistake? And, you know, those examples of shame, and you may very well have your own, are the kinds of things that we feel, we experience. And it's important to recognize the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is the idea that I did something bad. I knew when the clock in the car turned over to midnight that I was doing something wrong, and I felt guilty. But when I went to bed that night, I felt shame, because shame is the idea that I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is that emotion that says I am bad. We often connect the what with the who. We connect what we did with who we are. I did something bad, and and therefore I am bad. He rejected me, and therefore I am nothing. After what I did, I am worthless. I got a bad grade on my test, and I am stupid. Often, when we're found guilty, whatever that is, we got caught shoplifting, we were viewing porn, we were cheating on a test, it serves to reiterate and solidify those feelings of shame. And maybe some of you have some kind of a secret. Maybe you're carrying a secret addiction and you don't want anyone to know. Internally, because of that, you would embrace, I am a horrible person. Maybe you told a lie about someone and you're carrying that lie. I'm bad because of what I did. Perhaps you're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at. You're a Jesus follower, and yet you're engaged in a secret world of lust. And because of that, you feel like I'm a very, very bad person. Maybe it's your past. You've got a sexual past, and you're like, man, if they knew what my past was like, they wouldn't even let me come through the front door. And you're consumed with this idea of shame. It could be any number of different things. And you internalize it, you connect the what to the who, and you say, I'm not a good person. And before long, we put words on it. We start to shape our identity around these feelings of shame, and our insecurities come to define us. I'm defective. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm flawed. I'm dirty. I'm ugly. I'm impure, I'm disgusting, I'm unlovable, I'm weak, I'm pitiful, I'm insignificant, I'm worthless, I'm unwanted. I told you it's going to be a little bit heavy. And I want to allow it to be heavy a little longer. Because the feelings are real. And they're real in many of us. One of the things that I've seen in lots of people, myself included, is that shame-based thinking is prevalent and real. And when your identity is colored by something that you did and you start to embrace a negative view of who you are, you adopt what's called a shame-based mindset. And there are three ways that this impacts us. The first is that when we have a shame-based thinking, we're vulnerable to perfectionism. We attempt to silence our shame with error-free performance. We find it difficult to ever admit a failure, and we want to silence the shame by performing at the highest level and saying, look, I'm not that bad. I can prove it to myself. I exceeded expectations. I got it just right. We can be very vulnerable to perfectionism. And so strike one for me. I'm challenged by this all the time. The second way that shame-based thinking can affect us is that we're critical of ourselves, and that makes us critical of others. We're hard on ourselves, and that in turn makes us hard on other people. We see our own faults mirrored in others, and we tend to lash out at that. We tend to become judgmental. We tend to see what's always wrong in somebody else. And when they hear it, they perceive us as arrogant or self-righteous. When we find someone who's critical, when we find someone who's always harping on everyone, so often that person is dealing with a very dark and very real and very secret shame. Why? Because they reflect their own weakness and they see it in other people and they lash out because they hate the very thing that dwells inside of them. I don't know whether you would think of me as critical, but I know that my wife knows that I'm a critical person. And so, strike two. And the third thing that we see from this shame-based mindset is we use self-defeating thoughts as a form of protection and escape. Shame-based thinking tends to focus on the worst possible outcome, saying this bad thing is going to happen, and they're never going to like me, and I'm never going to amount to anything, and we'll never have a close relationship. Through our own self-defeating thoughts, we end up sabotaging opportunities and relationships. And once again, I'm very guilty of this. In fact, I just had a conversation this week with somebody, um, and they corrected me when I said that I was pessimistic to say that I was realistic. And I love that viewpoint because I love to call myself realistic in my my outlook. But so often... I just think the worst could happen. I just think the worst will happen. And I'm sure that something's going to go wrong. And so I feel like a shame-based thinking is very prevalent in me. And you might too. And that's why Christmas can get so crazy. You're around the table and your mom lashes out at you for no reason. I mean, where did that come from? Recognize that she might be dealing with some internal identity-warping shame that causes her to say something harmful. Or your dad goes off and gets drunk and just disengages from everyone. And you're like, there he goes again. The reality is perhaps he's dealing with, in an unhealthy way, in an unproductive way, some internal identity-warping shame. Or your in-laws pick on you about the way that you raise your kids, why would they do that well the reality is they may feel inadequate they may feel like they didn't succeed in everything that they wanted to do and they mirror that in you and so they pick on you or what do we do we become hypercritical of everyone why because deep down we're critical of ourselves and we reflect that inward warped identity battling with shame today It's my deepest prayer that our God would do a healing work and set many of us free from this dark and devastating emotion of shame. My prayer comes out of Isaiah 54, verse 4. And this was God speaking to Israel. And I believe that God can speak to many of us. He says, fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Let me read that again. Internalize it. Feel it. It's the power of God's loving spirit when he says, "Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth." If you're a Jesus follower, you can be completely free from the shame of your past. First John one nine tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and there's more good news second corinthians five seventeen says, "If you are in Christ, you're a new creation, the old is gone, gone, the new is here. God separates our sins. From us, as far as the East is from the West, and you know somebody said once that that's like a straight line. You know, we think of East and West and a globe, and they meet. you know there's that international date line where the East and the West meet. But God doesn't separate us like around the globe. He separates us in a straight line, so as far as you could go east and as far as you could go west, that's the separation. It just is gone. He holds our sins against us no longer. We are free. Paul writes in Romans 8.1, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our good God forgives us and remembers our sin no more. If anyone calls on him, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if our God is that good, And if his forgiveness is that real and that complete, why do we often continue to live with this feeling of shame? Why are those three things that we just talked about so prevalent in my life? I mean, maybe like me, you've been a Jesus follower for a long time. Maybe these truths are verses that you've memorized. You know them. And yet we still struggle. We still feel the shame and the truth is it's very difficult to overcome shame because it becomes a part of our identity. So I want to explain how this works with a story from the Bible and then we'll look at how it worked in Pastor Craig's life and we're going to see how Christ can set us free. If you know the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, We're actually in bondage and slavery for 430 years. It doesn't seem that long because it's just, you know, the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. We flip a page and it's over. (laughs) But think about it, 430 years as slaves. We haven't even been a country for 430 years. So that means that your parents would be slaves, that your grandparents were slaves, that all you knew of the history of your people was that they were slaves. And that worked itself out day after day in your life. I mean, literally, you got up every morning and slaved at work. That was week after week and month after month and year after year and decade after decade and century after century. Your identity was wrapped up in, I'm worthless, I'm nothing, I'm just a slave. And it was reiterated by the taskmaster who oversaw your work every day, seven days a week. Well, if you know the story, in Exodus, God raises up Moses. And Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, what? Right, let my people go. And God moves Pharaoh to let the people go and now after four centuries Israel is freed from slavery what happens though they were free outwardly most of them were still slaves inwardly they were a slave to the shame of the identity from their past let me say it this way they were out of slavery but slavery was not out of them though they were out of Egypt Egypt was not really out of them And though they were free in person, they were not really free in their heart. This is the problem. This is the problem that so many of us have. We may intellectually know that Jesus has forgiven my sins and Jesus has made me new. But in our hearts, because our identity is not yet grounded in Christ completely, we still are polluted by past shames that hold us hostage, that keep us from living the life that God really wants us to live. So here's the bottom line. We're still believing that we're something that God says we are not. That's the problem. You're still believing that you are something that God says you're not. Shame-based thinking warps our identity. Now, remember Pastor Craig Groeschel. He's the pastor of this church of 30,000. The church started in 1996 and has grown to locations all over the United States by any means of measurement, very, very successful. But God has been taking him on a journey to overcome shame-based thinking in his own life. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that his sins and mistakes in his past are forgiven, and those things don't hold him down. But what does hold him down is a distorted view of his identity that he's been working on for years by his own admission and recently has made significant progress. His distorted view of himself is this. When he's living in a shame-based mindset, his unhealthy view is that he's not enough. That's his shame-based mindset. He's inadequate. No matter what he does, it's never good enough. He's always going to be inadequate. He will never, ever be enough. That's his distorted shame-based identity, and it holds him back Part of the way that he discovered this was working with a counselor for a number of years. The counselor helped him understand that the environment that he was raised in, he was very vulnerable to trying to fix things that were really not his to fix. And because of that, being an oldest child and some other situations, he became overly responsible. And since he couldn't fix anything, no 8-year-old and no 12-year-old could, and no family's perfect, he developed this idea that he would never be enough. He confirmed it by believing, I'm just inadequate. I can't get this done. And so, as one vulnerable to perfectionism, he decided that he would meet performance and try to exceed in every way. So he strove and exceeded, got straight A's in school, he got college scholarships in two sports. He strove to always be the best. Fast forward to today, and here's where he gets in trouble. He's the husband of Amy and the father of six children, he has two son-in-laws, and his first grandbabies on the way, soon to be delivered. He's honored to be the pastor of this amazing church that just happens to meet in all these locations in lots of states. But here's where he gets into trouble. Every single day, he disappoints so many people. Every single day, he can't meet. He can't always be there. He can't speak at everything. He can't do every lunch. He can't, he can't, he can't. And much as he wants to, there simply are too many can use for him to say yes to them all. And that reinforces this shame idea that he's not good enough. And when he's unhealthy, he says, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And that gets him into a very, very bad place. He's going to try to work to prove himself, to prove that he's enough, and instead All he ends up doing is running and running and running to the point where he's in a very unhealthy place. And if he's really honest, he'd say that's his shame-based mindset taking over. For me personally, I can feel very much the same way. In fact, if you could hear all the conversations that my wife and I have had since Friday evening, you'd listen to me going back and forth about reading a sermon and how wrong this is. I was trained to do this, to preach. When I was in that teen ministry, the motto was preach, pray, sing, or die at a moment's notice. Today, I'm reading someone else's sermon, and it feels like I'm failing. And if I let that sink in, I can feel the shame that nobody's going to see, but I'm going to feel. The inadequacy, the not measuring up, the I'm not good enough. So what is the solution? I mean, we can't end here. All this leads up to the only way to heal from shame is to move the focus from what I'm not to who Christ is. Let me say it again. The only way to heal from shame is to move the focus from what I'm not to who Christ is. Whenever we're focused on ourselves, we're going to come up short again and again and again. Because if we think there's something bad about ourselves, it might be partially true. I mean, let's be real honest. If you think, well, I'm a bad person, can I just say respectfully, yeah, you kind of (laughs) are. I mean, you're a sinner and so am I. If you think I'm inadequate, guess what? You're right again. You aren't designed to do life on your own. You need help. You are somewhat inadequate, and so am I. If you think I'm pathetic, again, I hate to be rude, but some of you honestly are. We're kind of pathetic at times. That's the reality. But if you focus on yourself, if I focus on myself I'm always going to come up short, and that's why we have to move the focus off of who I am and focus on who Christ is, because he is the solution to our shame. Take a minute. Think about it. What's the identity? What do you claim that puts you down? It might be something you've done. It might be something that someone said. It might be something that someone's done to you. This is where you have to get over your shame-based identity. This is where you have to have the courage to be transparent, to open up your life and let your guard down and let someone in, to be honest with God and say, I need your help. I need healing in this place in my life. You need to be able to look at these phrases and say, I'm not blank blank. And whatever that is, I don't know what it'll be for you to fill in that blank. But whatever it is, I'm not blank. Because of Christ, I'm blank. So let me give you some ideas. You might say, I'm not bad. I'm not going to focus on that. Because of Christ, I am forgiven. Or I'm not sick. Because of Christ, I'm healed. I'm not broken. Because of Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone, and I have become new. I'm not disgusting. Because of Christ, I am loved. I would say it this way. I'm not inadequate. Because of Christ in me, Christ is more than enough. Christ in me is more than enough, and I remove the focus from myself And I place the focus on Christ. And that's when we start to find healing. Remember the Israelites? 430 years of enslavement. God sets them free. They're out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of them. They're out of slavery, but in their minds and in their hearts, they're still in bondage to the shame of the past. And God says something to them in Joshua 5.9. Now Joshua is the leader after Moses. Forty years have transpired since God set them free. And here in Joshua 5, 9, God says, The Lord said to to Joshua, Today, not tomorrow, not after three years of counseling, not after you've paid your dues, but because of our good God and his presence at this moment, by his grace and from his power, today God says, I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Today I've rolled it away. Today, at this moment, there's no more shame. Someone may have said, shame on you, like Craig was told way back by that mom. And I hope that none of us ever used that harmful phrase. But maybe you felt shame on you. God says, I've rolled it off of you. God says, the shame is no longer on you. You might hear shame on you, but no, by God's power, it's no longer on me. He rolled it away. The shame is no longer there. Understand this. Embrace it. You are not what you did in the past. You are not what others say you are. You are not who you think you are. You are not what someone did to you. Who are you? You are who Christ says you are. You are who Christ says you are. And if you are in Christ, that means you are free, you are forgiven, you are changed, and you are redeemed. You are healed, and you are blessed, and you are chosen, and you are complete. If you are in Christ, you're a child of God. The old is gone, and everything has become new. You're out of Egypt, and Egypt is out of you. You're out of shame, and shame is out of you. Why? Not because of what we did, but because today, by the power of God, he's rolled away the shame. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You may have carried a secret. You may have made a decision, something that you regret. You may have hurt somebody. You may have failed, and your enemy has tried to connect the what with the who you're bad you're dirty you're nothing take the focus off of you. put the focus on who Christ is we need to be Christ-centered in the way that we live I might be a little bit inadequate but Christ in me is more than enough and I can do everything that he calls me to do I have everything that I need to do for the things that he calls me to do today May the shame be rolled away. Let's pray. Father, you know that this message is as much for me as it is for anybody else here. And so I pray and thank you that that your power is so much stronger than even our emotions that you provide a way for us to focus on the gift of your son, a son that was born in this Christmas season, to unshackle us from ghosts, from feelings, from shame, from things in our past that we may have done or that may have been done to us. God, I pray that you would give us strength to be able to believe what you believe about us, that we would not just hear the words about forgiveness and acceptance and your love, but that we would feel them in our heart and that they would change us from the inside. That we would be your people who want to strive to show your love to others because we have been made new, because the old is gone and the new is here. Lord, help us today and this week to focus on on what you've said about us, that you've rolled the shame away. In Jesus' name, amen.